Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. Hey, George. How's your existential dread right now? Ah, it's terrible. Yeah, man. It's really bad. It's we 11. watched <laughs> Failsafe, the 1964 classic that scarred a generation of viewers. Mm. And I can see why. It's an uplifting film. Oh, my God. Hey. Following orders and hey, man. Fa- family. <laughs> Stuff happens. You know, stuff, stuff happens. Stuff does happen. And then you, you just you do it. Now, I realize that the movie Failsafe is not as well known as some of the movies we've done. So, much like with our Bird with the Crystal Plumage episode, we are going to discuss the initial impressions on the film first. And then when it is no longer safe for the viewers who haven't seen this movie, we're going to tell you, stop it now. See you next week. Sounds good. So, George, so do, do you have any notes tonight that you want to hit up from the initial uh, impression of the movie or anything you really want to get off your, your chest? I didn't take notes this time, um, but my my impression of the movie overall was that, um, I first of all, let me just say I liked it. It was very good. It was... Um, it was very straightforward. Let's say yes. it was like a play. It was, yeah, it was not. Um, there was, I'm trying not to give anything away. Um, some the, the plot was very well defined. Okay, mm. the what was going on, you couldn't miss it, you were never confused. Okay, very straightforward. Um, but the stress level was high the, mm. the whole time. It was, uh, yeah. And and it's even worse because the subject matter is something that is not fiction. No, I don't you know, know that was. So <laughs> Travis has shit. a Travis has a gargoyle <laughs> in his throat. <laughs> All of a sudden, I got the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis happening in my throat. <laughs> what was I texted you? I can no longer take <laughs> verbal messages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I got going on right now. I can't, I can't talk. I got a raptor in my throat. So, for a viewer who's never seen the movie, and we're convincing you to watch this movie before you go too far into the podcast today, the basic plot of Failsafe is the potential for accidental nuclear war in the 1960s. Can they stop an accident from causing nuclear war? And what are the grave consequences of us giving so much control over our defense structure to machines and bureaucracy? Right. Very not tense far, movie. Not a not lot far of fun. From the plot of Terminator, too. Not Terminator. a lot of not a lot of laughing in this movie. No. Not a lot of jokes. But directed by uh, the director of Twelve Angry Men, Sidney Lumen. So I mean, a very accomplished. Director starring some very famous people acting their butts mm. off. Travis, tell me about the acting, your initial impression, because you just watched it for the first time yesterday. Yes. Um, it's a different style of acting because it's that 1950s, you know, uh, which I like. I love 12 Angry Men. Um, with this movie, the acting was... It's hard for me to watch it because... 
it kind of was lost on George, I'm sure. But to watch Walter Matthau play that part, which was the professor, the mm. war war hungry professor, yeah, uh, the George W. Bush character, yeah, to see him play <clears throat> that part, uh, to see Dom DeLuise play a complete and total straight arrow character, uh, which character was that? He was like, uh, he was like the sergeant that in command had to come over and describe. Basically, give away secrets. Bogan. Uh, no, was, that was the general. He was the one who came up when the other guy froze and the other guy refused. Yeah. He was like uh, the lowest ranked guy who finally kind of choked out an answer. Gotcha. Like, like I'm a child of the '80s. So gotcha. I was born in '75. So to me, Dom DeLuise is comedy. That's all he is. Uh, Walter Matthau. I can see that. Comedy. That's all he is. Oh. Um, I could see the comedy in 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 the first guy. The, Dom the yeah, the guy that choked out the answers. Yeah, he's he's kind of like a, a a Abbott and Costello. Type yeah, I can comedy. I can see him being that kind of kind of guy, but right. not not the other guy. No, Walter Matthau not from my childhood was just him and Jack Lemmon for decades did comedy. Okay. I could see a Jack Lemmon in this movie. To me, Fonda, who played the president, is an icon. On that level of Jack Lemmon. So I could see Jack Lemmon playing that part, but he was probably too young at the time. I, I love the acting, but I would love to see this movie done with today's style of acting. Maybe 15 years ago. Just that... Because uh, this kind of story, I loved it when it was Hunt for Red October. I loved it when it was Crimson Tide. Just that that espionage, that 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 stress of of you know nuclear weapons going off at any moment. Even in the eighties, we had like war games, and you know other movies like that. Red Dawn, weird science. You know, I mean, let's weird. not forget <laughs> there was a rocket ship in there. <laughs> That's the only connection I found. Uh, you know, even you don't get you don't get Red Dawn without a movie like this. You don't get you know Red Rocktober out without this kind of movie. You don't get Spies Like Us. Or stripes without a movie like this, like it's just that it's such a good basis for either comedy or stress. That this uh, type of this situation, yeah. Which I have a feeling you're going to learn more about how it's dealt with from a different angle later on. Now, right at the beginning of the flick, it opens with a um, a bullfight, and it turns out to be a dream, a nightmare. Of the main character from the movie credits, Dan O'Hurley. Now, Dan O'Hurley was Oscar nominated uh, for Robinson Crusoe. So, coming into this movie, he is like an A-list guy. He's leading the credits. And if you look at the IMDb now, he's listed like fourth. Because since then, mm. he's pretty much known as the old guy from RoboCop. <laughs> Did you recognize him at all, George? Probably not. No. But General Black is his name, and he played the old man in RoboCop. You know, what's your name, son, at the end of the movie? The OCP okay. guy. So OCP you've guy seen him man. before, but you've seen him way old instead yeah. of kind of toward the end of his peak. Hmm. They never did explain why he had an accent, you know, but that's right. okay. Yeah, I'll live with it. Now, Walter Matthau, my God, in this movie, I only know him as a grumpy old man from right. watching him growing up. And the odd couple. He looks like if you had said, hey, Tommy Lee Jones, I need you to play Richard Nixon. <laughs> right. It's yeah. bizarre, the resemblance of a, a young Walter Matthau 
and a young Tommy Lee Jones. It blows me away every time. And Henry Fonda, oh my God. Yeah. Oh clinic. my God. That's, that's what I wrote down. He just put a clinic on. Well, and, and it's it La- subtle. Larry Hagman shows up, which mm. I only know him because he's JR from Dallas. And I only know that because Mr. Burns got shot once. And then I had to learn about right. Dallas from my mom. <laughs> but well, he ha- acts Hagman his butt was off big too. On, wasn't he on Bewitched? Or no, uh, yeah. Or was it um, I Dream of Jeannie? It was one of those. I only know him as JR. Yeah, I think it was I Dream of I don't Jeannie. even know who shot him. Yeah, he was on I Dream of Jeannie, according to yeah, the That's where the I M-Dib. knew him from. He's, he was kind of like uh, Dick Van Dyke, you know, kind of a popular TV actor. But yeah, he, everybody's straight playing it deadpan straight, except for Mathel. Mathel was the only cartoon character in this whole movie. Like, he was pushing the narrative a little too <laughs> a little too hard. You know, like you said, he was the the GW. I think he's more like a Cheney. I was just thinking yeah. that I made a mistake by saying W. Yeah, he's more like Cheney. It was Cheney. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I it's just like, kept oh. thinking he was either Goldwater or he was uh, Kissinger. Okay. You know, somebody slightly outside the mainstream willing to push. Yeah, but with decent influence. That's... But at this point, Kissinger, uh, at this point, Goldwater is literally... The presidential candidate. So I guess yeah. not that far out the mainstream. Holy mackerel, guys. Well, what do you know about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Like, do you know how close we were to <laughs> blowing each other up? I wish I knew more than just that. Yeah. I mean, the Russians moved nuclear missiles to Cuba. Like, they were, they were housing yeah. launches. Like, possibly, possible launches. And Kennedy uh, got us out of it, I don't know how, in mm. that same kind of war room situation where you really don't know what went down, but right. we were on the verge. What was that, like six, uh, 61, 62? October 62. Okay. So that's why when he was assassinated, people were like, oh, you know, was it the mafia? Was it the Cubans? Was it the this? Was it the... Like, there's so many things that happened in his three years in office or, you know, not even three years. A little over two and a half. Well, and they'll say that the Cuban Missile Crisis is the result. You know, it's like a counter move after the Bay of Pigs invasion. You right, know, right. Cuba asking for help and the Soviets being like, yeah, we'll help. Ugh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely Scary. the closest we've ever come to nuking the entire planet to death. Um, around the same time, there was a book that became a movie called On the Beach. Are you familiar with that, George? No. Basically, nuclear war happens. The entire world is covered in fallout, except for Australia. But the mm. fallout is in the air and moving toward Australia. So the characters are just awaiting death in Australia. Yeah. Ugh, it's like the thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, I don't think we can emphasize how much the generation of people who were young in the 60s were effed up in, in the head. <laughs> growing up, you know, constantly well, scarred by these these it stressful trickled events. It trickled into the 80s. I mean, when I was growing up, I always thought we were going to die. I just, between the movies and the rhetoric and all that stuff, I always thought, I, I'm going to wake up the, the day after tomorrow. Was it the day after, I think it was called? I think it was like 1981. That movie freaked me out forever because it was basically nuclear fallout. Everybody who 
was in basements, lived, everybody else died, and there was they showed like the aftermath. So it was the day after the bombs went off. Right. And then you have movies like War Games and again, Red Dawn, like you constantly thought in the eighties that the Cold War was gonna finally reach its end badly. Culminating in in just nuclear fallout. Yeah. And then I met a, a a Russian coworker at where my other job, and he I I told him he was the same age as me, and I I told him how it was here, and he he was like, yeah, no, <laughs> that's not what that's not the propaganda they were they were given. So it's like, but I'm like every movie we watched, we thought there was going to be annihilation, like it was just that that much going on here. So yeah, I can imagine just three decades of that from. 60, when was Bay of Pigs? Like 61? 61, yeah. So from then to 1980, when was the tear of the wall down? 84? 89. Oh, 89. Oh, right, I was in middle school. Yeah, so 89. So that's a long time to think you're going to die. Yeah. You know, George, I don't know how familiar, I know how familiar you are with 90s history uh, from previous episodes, but how, how good your Cold War history? Are you familiar with this era? I can't, and I know I can't say that I am. School me. Well, I'm biased. Well, both of you school me, and then I'll get both sides. <laughs> well, I think we're on the same page against the Cold War. I just think uh, 80s. Yeah, I know, but like, there's always like some people. Yeah, there's, you know, there's always that like you know that history is told by the winner right. type thing. So, but yeah. School me. In this case, it was told by the survivor. Thank God. Right. What a mess, guys. Uh, you know, it, the world is a messy place, uh, but honestly, are we that much safer from nuclear annihilation, or are we just the foolish people that forgot about it right before it happened? Mm. So this movie is based on a book. This movie is made in 1963. So when they start making... This movie. I mean, we can talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and like they start making it here. And by the time it's released, like, you know, how much worse the AIDS crisis is. Well, in this case, they start making the movie in 63. By the time it's released, President Kennedy has been shot and killed, replaced by a new guy. And the new guy is running for president against the most hawkish person to ever run for president at a time when he was like actively pursuing potentially proactive use of nuclear weapons against our enemies like she's louise guys heck of a backdrop for a movie about accidentally backing our way into a nuclear war mm. yeah right now are you familiar with barry goldwater at all does that name ring a bell the name does yeah he got like the least amount of uh electoral college votes ever he got like 50 votes Okay. He won he like lost five states. Johnson. I mean, how good could he have been? <laughs> yeah. He who was who was the vice president? Um, yeah. Now, when uh, Kennedy, Kennedy was shot. Yeah, when Kennedy was shot. Have you ever seen the Daisy ad? The political advertisement mm. referred to as the Daisy ad. I saw it today. I think so. So, but ex- explain it to oh, summarize it. It's uh, yeah. It's like the the Daisy is like the only thing that's left after the the bomb goes off. Oh no no basically. No. No, this Daisy's is a girl. A little girl picking oh. the petals off of a flower. And then it uh-huh. cuts to a nuclear explosion. And then Zoom Johnson 
does like a real dramatic overdub, you know. These are the decisions that will lead to the, you know, it's like scaring you off. I'll put it in here because I'm sure okay. that that won't get a copyright it? strike. But if you want to listen right. to it real quick, you ought to. It's a minute and 20 seconds long. Look at those bangs. She's she counted backwards. Yeah. No, she's just counting gibberish. <laughs> they talk about today's rhetoric. Holy shit. One way to do it. That's on the nose. <laughs> so that ad is released September 7th of 1964. The movie you just mm. watched came out one month to the day after that advertisement. Mm. So you're in an election season. You're in Vietnam. You're on the brink of the Cold War becoming a hot war. You've got the scariest political ad of modern times. And then you have this movie mm. with its optimism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a time to be alive, guys. And it's not the only movie that came out that year <laughs> with that kind of mentality. So It's a, you know, these are wild times that we live in now. But they, I don't, I don't know that we would have made it through, you know, uh, times as stressful as the mid-60s. My God. No. But they got some really sweet music out of it and we get stuck with what we've got. So, you know. Uh, it's a wash, really. It's a wash. <laughs> uh, now, did you notice there's really no score in this movie, George? Uh, yeah, kind of. Because thought I heard the bells, the, <laughs> but then I didn't. Yeah. Right? Turns out I was watching Weird Science again. <laughs> <laughs> he missed those too, so it's it's all good. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> you guys saw Dark Knight Rises, correct? Yes, of course. Did you notice when you were watching Dark Knight Rises that there's no score at all during the first fight between Batman and Bane? Yes. I did not notice the that. The reason they do that is because your movie watcher body expects a score to kind of ride along with you. And so if you do a scene with no score, all it does is like leave you uncomfortable and tense because you're waiting for, wait a minute, am I missing? Where's my, where's the, there should be, Stuff's ha- nobody's talking. There's the, you know, it puts you on edge. This whole movie does that to you because they don't have any score really. It's just the clock. It's just they use some sounds, kind of like Texas Chainsaw. It's a lot of sounds. Oh my god, the one sound yeah. effect in particular, just chilling. Yeah. Oh, oh. The, yeah. The. Oh. F- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I won't spoil. Yeah. That, yeah okay. <laughs> I was listening in the beginning. Now, we talked when we watched The Thing about the original The Thing from Another World. And I mentioned that in the 50s, there were a ton of movies 
that were about the Cold War situation, but by proxy, right? You've got the thing from outer space. You've got them, the giant monster bugs. You've got other monster bugs, tarantulas, and all of them brought to you by science, right? Because we're afraid of the nuclear age, but also like an other from outside. So they like stand in for the Soviets because nobody wants to look the Soviets in the face in these movies, right? We don't want to provoke anything by making a movie and nobody wants to spend money at the box office to see their reality just in their face. Mm. Escapism, right? Yeah. This movie took the opposite tact, right? It just grabbed what you were already worried about, smeared it on the screen, and then, you know, just held your face up to it for two hours. Mm. Look what you did. (laughs) Just rub your face in it on the carpet. Now, I would bet that this was a very successful movie. Really wasn't. It was kind of a flop. Really? Critics loved it because it kicks ass. But for a number of factors, some of which we'll discuss later, some of it we'll discuss now, it didn't do that well at the box office. And you could attribute that to some fatigue, right? But also just Mm. to the fact that, I mean, it's really good, but it's not, I mean... This is not a feel-good pick-me-up, like, let's watch a movie and feel good for two hours. This is tense from the jump. No, I was thinking that it it would be successful because of, you know, in the same way that, like, you know, your your local news is successful. Like, I, we, I think we've talked about before how, like, the news, like, they know that, like, the most horrible stories are what, like, keep people coming back because... We're like just wired to look for danger. But that's and today. Whatever. Back then, I think people no people a break have from the no, bullshit. No, no, no. People have always been wired that way. Mm. Like evolutionarily, you know, we look for danger so we can avoid it. So, like, I would think that a movie that was this terrible would attract a lot of uh, attention, mm. a lot of eyeballs. But like you said, fatigue. You know about the subject. I think quality too. Like it's a it's a great movie but it suffers at a few points that most movies don't suffer at. Like I know they had they had a lot of trouble getting stock footage of things that they wanted to convey on screen and they just couldn't. Yeah, you could tell. Uh, yeah. You know, they they used the same airplane like 9 times. Like they it's stuff that you would get in a low budget film. You know, it was very scratchy. The the animated maps and stuff obviously were a lack of budget, and they mm. you could tell there was lack of money. But the money they did spend, they spent it well with the actors and the acquisition of a good script. Like all that stuff is there, but you can tell visually the art direction of this movie suffers a bit. Sure, I would argue that, that the technology in general looks pretty good for the time. Yes. It doesn't distract me with its crappiness like a lot of the 70s stuff does when they try to go too far, like right. Westworld. You know, I love Westworld, mm-hmm. but some of those computers, oh my God. But what I'm saying is like they they had an idea, like when they were showing the, the planes being picked off. Right. Yeah. The animation of that map is very archaic and very Atari. Well, yeah. it, but... Ten, when they could have had... 10 years before they, Asteroids. Right, but I mean, the, I I've seen some uh, commentary, and it was explained that what they wanted to do, right? They wanted to visually show 
those things happening. Yeah, because they, they talked about the satellites and how right. the satellites can, you know, soon they're going to be able to, like, you know, zoom in on your head and you right. can see your hair. But they couldn't do any of those actual footage of things being shot down and all that stuff, so they had to do it on the map. Right. So I think that's where it suffers, because I think the movie would have had more epicness if you were seeing, kind of like when you watch a Pearl Harbor movie, wherever you're seeing the dogfights, you're seeing the the dive bombing of the boats, you're yeah. seeing all that, so you feel like you're part of it, you're involved, you're in it. Saving as, Private Ryan. Right, as opposed to sitting yeah. and watching it playing out in eight bits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's where it suffered. Now, but, did you know that the, and I, I can't imagine why this is so, guys, uh, sarcasm alert, uh, the U.S. government did not cooperate at all with the making of this film? And so, yeah, they bootlegged plane footage, and that's how they got plane footage, because they weren't allowed to use anything, including uh, U.S. government uh, property. And, I mean, you get it, but at the same time, like... What are you hiding? What are you I mean, hiding? Seriously, we all know. Why, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> now, were you uh, aware of fail-safe uh, checkpoints and patrols and the, the on-guard, always bomber thing from the cold war george no it's really scary i wasn't aware of the intricate phone service stuff going on yeah <laughs> it's like it's like yeah. punch me in here connect me here i'm thinking that the whole the whole fate of the world rests on these phones yeah. the uh, and yeah back then it would that, have been a manual operator, operator. Mm-hmm. i mean imagine that operator has to take a bathroom no, break and that's exactly what i'm thinking like yeah. it's a manual operator like he's got to stick the the quarter inch into that you know that jack to connect that it's like, like president vice president yeah and the phone operator it's a very imp- <laughs> that's a very important switchboard should almost be an electable position <laughs> no i'm just thinking of the you know the transistor switchboard going right. bad at that time well or or the the computer the computer's going bad and causing world war 3 yeah or, you know, getting hacked by some punk kid who's just trying to change his grade card. You know, whatever. Yeah. Or trying to make a woman with bras on your head. And you, mm-hmm. for, you got so ahead of the game, you forgot to hook the doll up. All right. Yeah. You forgot <gasps> to hook up the doll. <laughs> now, toward the beginning of the movie, you see Walter Matthau's character. And he is, uh, he is a professor of political science who is a civilian advisor to the government. That's his role. His name is Dr. Grota Shelley. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about, just kind of for fun at a party, when the nuclear war goes off, the only survivors are going to be convicts and file clerks. And he poses, you know, who would win between the few convicts deep enough in solitary confinement to survive the blast and the file clerks Shielded by paper, the world's best insulator, or whatever. It's mm-hmm. uh, pretty good. Who's going to let those convicts out of prison? <laughs> Not the file clerks. Bane. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm on board with that. Bane. Yes, Bane. Duh. I'm going to let everybody out. <laughs> if it was three movies, Dark Knight Rises would be the best uh, one. But as one movie, it was too much. No way, mm. bro. And I'm in the damn thing. And I... No way. Yeah. We'll get to it someday. Are we going to do the Dark Knight soon? We are going to do the Dark Knight soon, I think. 
We I don't know if we'll do, do the whole movie. thing, but we got to do the dark. We're night. doing the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, if Bane says it, I've got to. Yes. You better. <laughs> do not fight me on this, Batman. <laughs> so one of the more curious things in this movie, and this is right up front, so we're just going to talk about it in, in great detail. You meet a woman at the party whose name is my- Ilsa Wolf. Mm. And she, she looked way too much like my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at her. I'm like, holy crap. Well, you're going to love the next thing I say then. Oh, boy. <laughs> my note says that she's a walking war boner. <laughs> that lady is so hot to trot for the idea of nuclear apocalypse that yeah, like not my wife i'm pretty sure at one point well yeah she was turned on by it i definitely. mean <laughs> yeah she was enjoying herself and at one point i'm pretty sure she grabs the professor's uh mm-hmm. you know uh what's up yeah it's Grabs him by his, his, uh, and he slaps her like a gentleman would. <laughs> yes, he would. Yes, <laughs> Yikes. puts her in her place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Yikes. she was just really feeling the moment, I guess, and he was not letting her feel his moment. So, what's funny is she, he does that to what ol- other older men for the next forty years. <laughs> just smacks the shit out of them verbally or physically. <laughs> Math Al, Part man, love love that guy. I, you know, she was, she might be the most, like, ready-to-go, hot-to-trot character we've seen in a movie yet. I can't, I mean, she, she might give Sharon Stone a run for her money. I'm serious. <laughs> she's, like She's no Sharon Stone. She might be a Sharon Stone. Stone. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting. It's a really interesting choice. Yeah. It's clear at that point that she is not meant to be taken as like a literal person who this guy should right. deal with, but instead more of a concept on two legs. I think this is where I insert that my wife is not that turned on by war. <laughs> it's not war that she's into, yeah. man. It's the destruction of the entire right. planet. <laughs> planet, right. Yeah, she's like Dr. Evil. She's like straight up like, well... <laughs> She is, there's a lot of caressing going on during that discussion. It's very yes. creepy. Uh, super effective at creeping me out. <laughs> but, whoa. 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 I did, I like their fortuitous discussion, the, the bomber crew, before they take off for mm. the main mission. They discuss, oh, you know, pretty soon we won't even have pilots in these planes. I mean, he's not wrong. No. Nope. Enter George Jetson. It was pretty fortuitous. I mean, everything in this, that's the weird thing about this movie is it has like a Black Hawk Down level of realism, but with none of the government support that Black Hawk Down had, you know, mm. the use of actual helicopters mm. and real tactics and stuff. So technically it's all over the place, but uh, it's very real. It definitely had, I kept thinking of did you ever see crimson tide dan oh uh i thought you meant george uh no. if i saw it it would have been in the early aughts uh so i do not remember yeah, it was it was gene gene hackman was a, a submarine captain and denzel washington's on the submarine oh yes i have seen and the denzel like washington whole, yeah it's like a whole uh mutiny situation because of 
basically this kind of situation. And it's so tense. And it's, I mean, it's fucking Gene Hackman. Right. And it's Denzel Washington. Right. And you can imagine this kind of script, the fail-safe script, with those caliber actors just going back and forth. You know, you watch um, Peter Fonda, not Peter, Henry. Peter Fonda's his son. Peter Henry Fonda would be, I mean, that'd be a whole different movie, but yeah, I'm kind of here for it. Like, Yeah. Uh, you see Henry Fonda playing the character that Denzel plays, in a way, but he plays it so calm. Like, I'm watching this guy, I'm like, the whole weight of the world is on your shoulders, and the decision you made is this, and you just said that with a straight face, and didn't even choke up a little bit when you said it. And I picture someone like Denzel, or Gene Hackman, or, you know, even Pacino, at some point in his career, delivering these lines with a lot more feeling and a lot less a matter of fact, mm. uh, it would have blown me away. I know this movie was remade recently, so I'm I'm going to look it up and see who's. I know I think it's might be George Clooney's involved in it. I don't know if he's in it. He he is, and they did it as a live TV production. Okay, so it's actually done like a play. It has Noah Wiley in it. I've never seen it, but after okay. having watched this one again today. I mean, how can I not at least yeah. try to find it streaming somewhere? Like that's yeah, I'm gonna check it out. That could be interesting. It's probably gonna suck, right? Two thousand <laughs> George Clooney. Like we're not gonna get dust till dawn. George Clooney flying a bomber or whatever he does. But wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> he might. Was he? I guess he might play the president. I don't know. How old is he in two thousand? I think it's like two thousand three. Batman old. You know, like okay, well. I don't know. I'm going to check it out, but I don't know anything about <laughs> it except it that out. my mom was really excited they were going to do it because she loved George Clooney. Mm. Also, I have to tell you, uh, growing up, I knew about this movie because my mom would bring it up pretty regularly. Like, oh, when you're older, you need to watch Failsafe. It's really scary. Oh, they do some really scary stuff. Oh, it's really scary. Like, this is maybe the only scary movie she's ever built up for me. Mm. And mm. I remember watching it for the first time, and it like I nearly had a panic attack watching this movie. It got so tense. Yeah, it's damn right. Like, there's not a lot of time to breathe. You know, it's 20 minutes in, and I'm already puckered. Right? Yeah, I wasn't Yeesh. sitting down and watching a movie like this. I was not back then. It was too too serious for me. So my my introduction to a movie like this was like War Games. This explains uh, Dan's obsession with certain things. Because like every now and then, I think, when was it? Uh, I think it was when Trump had COVID. Mm-hmm. Oh Dan yeah, we heard like, the announcement Dan, together right after we recorded a show. Dan, oh, just, right, right. Dan just messaged me. Um, no, like the next morning you messaged me like of a specific plane that was now like flying in the air along the east coast or something like that like oh yeah it was like the that was so the, fucking scary it was like the the <laughs> oh airborne the airborne oh. war room plane what yeah no was that we heard about the yeah we were recording an episode i don't remember what movie it was now but we'd finished the episode we were bullshitting at the end i got my phone out while we were chatting and oh god the president has covid like this is bad, right? Like, no matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on, the president having COVID is bad, right? And then, yeah, right. it was the next morning I found out that, 
yeah, the, they'd basically flown, not quite what they did in the movie, but they, they flew basically a heavily armed, not going to fuck around plane up and just put it in the air and, you know, as a signal, like, he may be ill, but we're still all here. Yeah, we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> that was scary, man. I hadn't... Ugh. But he messaged me that like the next morning and, and I, when, when I like read the article that he sent me, I was like, well, yeah, that seems normal. See, like, I, I wasn't at all like worried about it. I don't it. think about it as scary. I think of it as strong. Yeah. I don't think about it as scary either. Right. Like the movie was very stressful. Right. And, and it was like, it was very uh, dark, but right. I didn't think it was scary because I, thing, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it would have been more scary if I grew up in the 60s. Well, right. and like, I I was a history major because I didn't know that I should have been a poli-sci major, so I ended up like crossing over and doing a lot. I mean, this is this area the you know, modern warfare, cold war era war, world war 2 and beyond. That has been my interest area for 30 years. Like that's what right. I do. Yeah. Right. So when I see them raise the defcom level from one color to the next and more men come in through the back doors, I get a chill because I know like what, you know, without having to think about it, my instinct is, oh God, right? We need more dudes. It's never good when we need more dudes in the, in the SAC command. Mm. By the way, guys, yeah. if you haven't been to Nebraska, they at office air, off at Air Force Base, right off campus, they have a, a museum, a SAC museum. And you can go check out like an SR-71 Blackbird in person, just like nice. on a tarmac. I love that plane. It's a cool museum. I highly recommend. If you're ever in Nebraska and, and you're not at a football game, go to the SAC Museum. It's really cool. It might just be just about the only thing in Nebraska to see. And you can tell all your friends you saw the SAC Museum and they'll go, <laughs> <laughs> Big sacks, little sacks. So many. They had an Apache there one time. Oh, I was like, guys, this is cool. Yeah, but see, that kind of reminds me of nine uh, eleven when when they put GW in the in the Air Force One, and they didn't land it anywhere for longer than like twenty minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like they just kept landing and then taking off. Yep, landing, fueling, taking off. Like it was like uh, two days of him being in the air. And that was very surreal to me. Yeah. Despite your your politics. Like, it's just, it was weird to see yeah. something that would be in a movie is happening. Yep. So, yeah, I can totally see that when you see the news that there's a fully armed uh, bird in the air as a, as a huge middle finger to the rest of the world saying, listen. Don't try it. Dude might be, <laughs> dude <laughs> right. might have 104, but we got this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, behind the dudes, another dude. Like, we got plenty right. of dudes. But, you know, it's the thing you talk about, you know, you see it as strong, you see it as scary or whatever, however you see it. It's the difference between a police officer putting his hand out and saying, stop, right? Versus a police mm -hmm. officer drawing his weapon, pointing at you and saying, stop, right? Like, the, the difference in the interaction, you know, he is just as strong when he says it, but if he thinks he needs to go to that next level, like the escalation is such that it is, it should be scary. Whether you're on right. the yeah. side of the guy with the gun or the guy, you know, either way, you know. No, I, I agree with that. My, my issue is that's not the people he's talking to when, when that happens. What do you mean? It's like, 
the cop, the cop who oh, puts his hand out and says cop. stop, he kind of knows the situation and he knows right, this right. person's what, not yeah, a what, threat. What Dan is saying is that when the weapon comes out, like you should be scared because the cop is right. scared at this point. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but scared I mean, enough to draw. I yeah. look at it as it depends on who you're. Yeah, you're trying to convey a message to everybody of strength. But you're basically talking to the four assholes in the back of the room saying, yeah, that's, you know what I mean? You're not too. talking to the rest of the room. Yeah. You're talking to the guys that are drunk in the back of the room. Yeah. But two minutes yeah. ago, you were talking to those four guys and your gun wasn't out. Yeah. And they weren't taking you seriously. So it's right. just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's, I, I see what you're saying. Like you're going to escalate. You're basically, when you pull your weapon, you're going to instigate. A situation. Well, it's like you've admitted you're in a position of weakness. Even if it is a position you can come back from, you know, it's a telltale sign that, like, the control you thought you had, you no longer have, and you know it. Right. Hence the gun. Did you ever see uh, Grand Canyon? The movie Grand Canyon? Oh, my God. Years ago. It's one of my wife's it's family's fucking favorites. amazing movie, right? Mm. And Danny Glover is talking to a unarmed drug dealer, and the drug dealer has a gun to Danny Glover's face. And they have a confrontation about the gun, or com- conversation in the confrontation about the gun. And in the end, the drug dealer says, "Is it because I have a gun in your face?" And Glover says, looks him right in the eye, and says, "You don't have the gun. We're not having this conversation." Period. Like he's just—he's mm. basically letting him know, "I'm only respecting you because you got a gun in my face." Right. Otherwise, I'd be unloading on you and beating the shit out of you. Right. <laughs> But mm. it's just the delivery of that line. You could see who actually has control of the situation, and that's kind of what Dan's saying. Like, yes, you, you yes, can, yes, you can govern a situation without a gun, but that's actually a stronger position. Yeah, yes, but the one with the gun is is compensating, and is actually in the stronger position. Exactly. <laughs> but the guy who says you don't have the gun, we're not having this conversation. If that guy had a gun, the other guy wouldn't right wouldn't survive the situation. So it's it's hard. It's, it's a like, very it's, it's it's a very complex. Uh, com- yeah complex uh, situation. Yeah, mm. interesting. Well, I think we I should think probably we'll... bid everybody who hasn't watched the movie a quick pause, guys. Go watch this friggin' movie. Like it's really <laughs> good. It's black and white though. So if you're one of them complaining like my children because oh there's no color in the movie. Okay, you're too bad. It's fucking right. good. Go check out this movie, and then come on back. And I can understand, because I was, the first time I started watching it, I was like, the fuck are watching? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember what I texted to, to Dan, but it was, it was basically me passive-aggressively saying, can we pick a different movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was basically like, you know, what, what is your angle here? Because this is completely off the rails where we were. Mm. And he's like, what did you say? Trust the process. Trust the fungus, man. As an uptight, pretentious movie uh, snob, I quoted Mm. the Super Mario Brothers movie. (laughs) (laughs) But I know where he's going with this, so I get it. But it it did kind of come out of the left field. But like, is he is he watching this movie because there was a fucking rocket ship in Weird Science? I'm not really sure (laughs) what the connection is. And then I was like, wait, I know 
there's an actor in this movie that's going to be in a movie we're watching in a couple weeks. Is that why we're watching it? Because he made us watch the entire thing movie just for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> we watched Suspiria because of maggots. Like, I just wasn't sure yeah. why we were watching this movie. And now when I actually collected my thoughts, no, that took was a nap. Suspiria, and then, that was a... That's no, Phenomena. Was, uh, not Suspiria, Phenomena. Phenomena. Uh, we haven't watched Suspiria. Um... Then I realized, okay, I know the movie we're going to be watching soon. Will it be the next so one? So I get it. Or just one know, that depends soon. on which bag or cat we're opening. <laughs> All <laughs> right. bag of cats we're opening. Oh, of cats. I yeah. was going to say, I was going to recommend the... opening a cat <laughs> if that was an option. It's possible. All right, so everyone that hasn't seen the movie is gone. Wait, there's someone in the back. You. Hey, you. You're cheating. You. <laughs> out of here. Get the, you know who get I'm the talking. Fuck out of here. <laughs> okay, now that everyone's gone, it was the water. The water is what kills the aliens. Oh, swing, swing, swing away. away. <laughs> swing away. No, apparently it's Blackie. <laughs> oh man, Blackie man. That's a nickname that didn't age very well. Poor guy. Uh, that used to be a character name on like a soap opera. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... John, St- John Stamos' name. <laughs> when I'm having a really good hair day, my wife calls me Blonde Stamos. Blonde Stamos, yeah. nice. Interesting. So, the, the decision that the president comes to just just doesn't seem right to it me. Does, it, it does avoid all-out nuclear war. Though. Yeah, but incinerate Nebraska. Like, why? No, it has <laughs> to be New York, Mos- Moscow, what about Philly. It has to it's no. It be has Moscow to be equivalent. It, man. It, it has to be New York or DC. Then do see DC. Seriously, oh, wow. I've seen it. <laughs> it's there's nothing I, good there. <laughs> my, I, I listen. I thought it was a. It was a good. It was a good, I don't want to say compromise, but it was, it's like, Exchange. It, it is the sacrifice that you have to make to avoid any further. I don't think, I don't think New York City is equivalent to Mos- Moscow. I don't. I would maybe say like Los Angeles. I don't know much about Moscow. I don't think. But that. Los Angeles is, is packed too. Like there's. Yeah. Not as much as New York, I don't think. Well, and you have to keep in mind the Moscow command and control structure. Like that's the one that really hangs me up is it's like, my God, like you've just decimated the core of the Soviet government. Hmm. And we know how tenuous the Soviet hold was on the outer union. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just, you know. Either, in any way, I think you can't go one-to-one, right? I think in terms of, you know, cultural value, New York holds a special place in all our hearts because of everything that they've done well and some of the things that we all pick on them for. I don't know, man. It's... And wasn't his... Was that confirmed that his wife was in New York? That's what the paper said. Yeah, his wife, the president's wife... Blackie's uh, family was there. His whole family's there. I mean, it's like they all give all to save the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Did you catch the line from Walter Matthau when they're beginning their his little speech to is it the Joint Chiefs or somebody just a large uh, 
military gathering there. About communism? When he says, he points at the screen, he was like, well, we settled the question of accidental war last week, so we can't use this alert today for our discussion. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Like, it's one of those things you might miss the first time because you don't know what's coming, right? But it's just like, oh. He was a bit of a disgusting character. He was trouble, man. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? You always have these people that, you know, these, and the crazy thing is the book that this is based on was written by two political scientists. Mm. So, I mean, it's these guys, all right? You know, they know their colleagues, right? The ones who. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yikes. I mean, that's just too real. Like this whole movie. Huh. And then I think about like the the movies that this director made later and that I've never seen this movie. Like he 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 made some good movies that you'll I don't know if we're going to touch on any of them, but I'm shocked I've never seen this movie. Cuz this is it, it's it's up there with those movies I n- know he made. But no one talks about this movie. I thought it was a little weird that um, six planes versus the entire Russian defense, mm. you know. And only one of the planes had the, the missiles, right? So I'm not sure. Five were decoys or all of them had missiles? I think all but the one, one decoy. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not sure. But... They could shoot down six planes. Well, I mean, if 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 it happened right now, and you sent a squadron of six B twos, they might get one if they're lucky, and they'd have to get it with a you know while the bay doors were open. Like that's just technology, and that was our technology at the time. I mean, keep in mind we they didn't have the bomb for a long time after we did, Mm. and that's what really accelerates this whole process. Is you know we think we have military superiority and then they bring it to parody and it freaks everybody out. But then again, we're not really sure how that's the problem with governments like this and dictators and whatever. Like they they peacock a lot and they grandstand and they show off and like who's to say the missiles they had were even functional? Just because they're on the back of a trailer being pulled in a parade doesn't mean it actually will lift off. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's a lot of propaganda. I mean, this is Russia we're talking about, not North Korea. Yeah, but... <laughs> like... In the 50s... You like really the, didn't know, yeah. You didn't know you. the capability that they had. They could tell you. Intelligence could tell you. Mm. But we've all learned that maybe the intelligence isn't correct. Sure. We're just gonna, yeah, we're just gonna figure out we only know what we find out. Right. Another thing I thought was, why not reach out to Russia immediately and have this taken care of over the North Pole? Mm. Right? Have you ever heard of a movie called Stagecoach? No. Yeah. Real famous Western directed by John Ford. There's a potentially apocryphal story. It might be true. The filmmaker asks the guy that directed it, why didn't the natives just shoot the horses? Mm. And the director right. says, we wouldn't have had a movie. 
Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I don't know who said that, but I remember you bringing that actually up before. Oh, God, I'm repeating myself on the show. No, but you didn't like go into detail. I just remember you that quote from something. Or maybe I watched it in a documentary or something. I don't remember that. Yeah, but that was, uh, I guess that was just me being me. You know, not letting the movie take me like I should. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be that Ilsa wolf lady to every movie. Just stroking mm. your furry fur... What is it? I don't even know. What is that thing she was wrapped in? It wasn't like a, it was like a fur, not a shirt. I I don't know female fashion. And just, and I was just, looking at her face. I don't even know what the hell she was wearing. And just grab the movie, but oh, never mind. <laughs> Yikes. What'd you guys think about the presentation of crazy academic perspective on the idea that the Soviets are, quote, you know, these are Marxist fanatics, not normal people. They're not motivated by human emotion, such as rage and pity. They're calculating machines. Propaganda of the time. And then juxtaposed against the actual conversation between our general and General Konyev, where they talk about London. Yep. Mm. Dude, that kills me every time. Mm. Yep. That was a very poignant uh part of the movie where it just was like you know when you know when this is all going down like when we're doomed right like all of our um petty differences oh yeah all of our differences all of our disagreements all of our whatever goes away and like we're just human Mm -hmm. and it's like why does it have to be like I don't know, 10 seconds before you're dead for us to realize this. Which which is the point of why it's there. In the right? end, when you sit and you watch this whole movie, the only real asshole in this movie is the guy flying the planes. Because <laughs> he's yeah. following the orders. Like, they're all saying, dude, like even his wife. And he's just like, yeah, no, I got to do it. <laughs> I'm like, just listen to the president, listen to your wife. Isn't he the commander in chief? Isn't he your boss? Like, I know there's protocols, but everybody's telling you this is not real. Yeah. Also, your radio was jammed the entire time you were flying across the ocean. Yeah, I don't like that guy. Fuck that guy. That's <laughs> that's the guy I was angry with. The Russians are like, yeah, we know it was a mistake, but we're gonna fuck you up. If yeah, you like you up. had you had hours. To, again, we wouldn't have had a movie, right. but you had hours of like. No radio communication when n- normally, oh, I guess it's never a normal situation, but normally in this situation, you would be able to verify with your superiors and with the president and all that. Like when it's like, okay, we're going to Moscow now, and like you're on the radio, and it's like, this is for real. And it's like, yes, this is for real. Right. And then. Once you cross over and you get close enough to the target, then at that point, if you get an order to turn around, it's no good anymore because you've already confirmed it. Right. But we never had the confirmation because the radio was never working. So that's kind of like an exception that maybe like a human person could, Right. you know? And I think that that's what took the tenseness away from me was the fact that it's everybody does have access to each other and it's just frustrating because there's this group that is disregarding everybody else 
like with the hunt for October or especially Crimson Tide, like they're on submarines. They are separated from everything. There's yeah. no communication. So you don't know what's going on up there. No. It's just you guys on the ship or this this submarine and you're going on your gut, on your protocol, on your, you know, orders, like all these different things you're going on, but you're alone down there. You're secluded, you're you're sequestered, you're I mean, it's just it was way that's the kind of tension I was expecting uh in that in this movie, but it kind of fell short on me because there was so much access with the phone, the different war rooms, like everybody had access to each other. So it was basically just people being a pain in the ass. Mm. Like you're not listening to each other as opposed to somebody having to make the decision on their own in seclusion. Like to me, that's, that's more stressful because it's on that person. That one person doesn't have influence from the president to tell him yay or nay. Yeah, I guess the only person in this movie that was kind of almost, I guess, kind of like that was the president, right? Because even though he was talking to, you know, the Nebraska yeah. and the interpreter and and Moscow and all those, but it's still he in his decision. It's ultimately okay. he's alone, right? And, and that's that, why he says, that. "I take this responsibility." It's all in me. He's got to. God, his face when he realizes, you know, or says out loud that they're going to have to shoot down their own bombers, like, oh, mm. Oscar, like, yeah, take it. I like when he says, you know, and if necessary, shoot them down. And he's like, it's going to be necessary. And he's like, do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, I think, probably hits our generation a little different than it would have, you know, if we were talking about this movie in 1995. Well, I remember, uh, when 9-11 happened, the anguish and disgust that was felt for at least two days when we thought that Flight 93 was shot down. And not... It wasn't? Not flown in... Well, later we find out that the passengers broke into the cockpit and mm-hmm. the pilot flew it into the ground. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. No, uh, what I I'm think, saying I is think that either was... situation is is equally as possible to have happened. No, they both were possible, and I still to this day think we might have shot that plane down. I think, and if we did, it was the right thing to but do. But if we if we did shoot it down, it would not have made a crater. It would have been blown up in the sky. That's sure. that's that's the only thing that makes me think that the pilot flew it into the ground. It's a much it's a it's a much better story. Yeah. That. Yeah. The only the only thing that makes me think that we did not shoot it down, even though for two days I thought we did, yep. was the fact that it, it impacted the ground. The body of the plane made a crater the size of half a football field. Okay, real evidence. I'll take yeah. it. So to me, if they would have blown it out of the sky, it, sky, it would it'd have been... It would have been pieces, yeah, and it would have been like that. Into the ground. Gotcha. But yeah, the, that those couple days when you thought that happened... It was really tough to think, like, the decision that had to be made. You know, do we let that plane hit a city, or do we take that plane out and and kill 100 people? Yeah. And that's just 100 people. Not that that's, not a, the, not that that's light, but... Not the 20 million there that are they were de- talking about. Yeah, there are decisions even bigger than that that need to be made in this movie. Crazy. Yeah. 
It's wild to think that, you know, the people that grew up in this era made the movies of the 80s. Just like the guys that were first lieutenants in Vietnam are the colonels and generals in Desert Storm. Mm. Then the Desert Storm first lieutenants are there in 2003, you know. It's just, it's interesting to think what that, like, it's like a flip-flop from generation to generation, you know, what you've experienced, then how, how does it affect the next war? Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see 20 years from now or 15 years from now when our last, like, you know, five to 10 year young military leadership come of age, what lessons they're going to take out of the last 10 years of combat. I think you're already seeing it. A lot of, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the fighting is done, not boots on the ground. That's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, you have this, this tech savvy generation. It's like, you know, I personally know somebody who flies drones for a living. Yeah. So it's like, instead of actually being a pilot and flying something somewhere, you're now doing it from not the comfort of your own home, but you know, that's the wave of the future. It's going to be robotic soldiers and really interesting to see what the next 20 years are like. I mean, it's always interesting, right? It never stops being interesting. It's just, sometimes it's a lot easier to find the interesting stuff than other times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny, like, Today's generation, when they watch a movie like Saving Private Ryan, and they watch that storming of the beaches in Normandy, and you know you're just sitting there going, and you watch a movie like Glory, or you know a Revolutionary War, or something you know, Civil War, you just see the the disregard for human life. Basically, the front line is dead. You're dead. You're you're going to be a shield for the, so the other guys can get by. And it's like, I think that's slowly going away to the point where now the generations are like, why, why waste people like that? Let's do things more, you know, technically through robotics or whatever. So I think that's where we're heading. Yeah. Yeah, I watched Full Metal Jacket this week. That's always uplifting. <laughs> First half or second half? Whole thing. And you watch the whole Whole thing. darn thing. Haven't done that in a while. Probably hadn't watched Amazing. the whole movie since college. Damn. I dude. think I've worked I think I've watched the first scene of that movie. Probably fifty times. It's an amazing movie. Both sides of it, but it's just two different movies. You gotta be in the mood for one or the other. You can't Yeah. Like, you know what, I wanna watch this part today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably the more it's probably the easier way to watch it, really. Because the yeah. whole roller coaster ride thing, it's a lot. For one movie. You know what was a you know what this movie or um, uh, this movie reminded me of or that this movie probably influenced the dude that used a computer for the first time in World War Two to decode the Germans' messages, hmm. right? Like the Enigma machine. Yes. I don't know what movie that is. Well, in the movie, they once they crack it. Now they have access to all of the German communication. Right. Right? But now they have to make decisions. What attacks are they going to let go through? And what attacks are they going to stop? Because if the Germans catch on that they know that they've cracked it, then 
Right. Gig, gig is up. Yeah, you don't want to like, if you're going to cheat on the test, you might put a couple wrong answers on there. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly are right. you referring to the imitation game, the recent movie with... Uh, is that what it was called? With uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, that was mm-hmm. the one. Yep. Yes, very similar decisions had to be made in it's that like movie. It's like Sophie's Choice. Like, who do you decide to save just to mask the fact that you know everything they're doing? Mm-hmm. I hear you. I mean, if you ever look at any, you know, CIA intelligence operation back in the day or you know, anymore, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the thing is, right, you, and it's hard to explain to people who don't, grasp the gravity of this like explaining to a normie how any of these things can be possible and also not evil at the same time is very difficult Mm. but you know taking for example i'll probably cut this part out uh (laughs) the kennedy assassination thing right where Mm. oswald is a known entity to the cia so that makes people think oh the cia isn't on it it's like they know the guy's got contacts in cuba they know the guy's got He's been to the, you know, the Russian embassy in Mexico. Like they're, they're tracking this guy, but you can't just arrest every guy when you catch him doing one bad thing because you have to use them to find who they're talking to and climb the chain and try to flip him and be, you know, just trying to explain to somebody the complexity of those situations. It's impossible. Wait, wasn't he a patsy? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows, man? I wonder how many electoral college votes this movie flipped. Probably not a ton, right? It didn't do a huge amount of box office. But I wonder if there is a small group of people that they saw the Daisy ad, they were on the fence, like, don't really like this Johnson guy, right? Never elected him before, not really my kind of guy. Then they see this movie and go, okay. (laughs) (sighs) Hmm, I don't know. The problem with Johnson is... That's what she said. I'm only looking at him with 2020 vision. Like, I don't know what it was like back then. I'm only looking at it as a Monday morning quarterback. Like, I know I don't like him based on things I learned over the years. It's not like, I don't know what was going on in 64. Maybe he was different. I don't know. Like, I wasn't around. Were you around? Aren't there recordings, I believe it's of Johnson ordering pants, hmm? ordering pants, having like he's on the phone with somebody and he's like ordering pants. I don't know. Like, I know he had a very foul mouth. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was (laughs) Lyndon Johnson is like giving him the dimensions and telling him how low he wants the crotch to be because he can't stand (laughs) pants of a certain crotch length there's I, I don't know yeah actually right. uh, yeah that's the thing i had never heard that before but here here it is on youtube oh, there you God. go is it, it, it does it rank up there with orson wells about the gonk it sounds quite a bit like uh <laughs> that line from drunk gary <laughs> he says uh, just from the little i'm just looking at the link i'm not even gonna click it but down where your nuts hang belch back to my bunghole <laughs> <laughs> yes that's the taint that's almost yeah. the same line as drunk gary that's bizarre man <laughs> what a weird life life is life is weird gary gary george would that's you recommend cool. people check out Failsafe if they didn't watch it yet but they stayed to the end just because they don't mind spoiling the movie for themselves 
Absolutely. Travis, you want to tell uh, George what we're up to next time? Next week, you'll be watching a movie that I do love. Go on. Yes. Uh, a little bit more mainstream. Okay. Uh, do you know who Peter Sellers is? Can't say that I do. Okay, good. We will be watching Stanley Kubrick's mm. Dr. Strangelove. Or, okay. or, ah, oh shit, and you were going to do that. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> I don't know the full title. Do you know it? Dr. Shane's Love. Or, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Love the Bomb. Wait. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> Is that one movie? That's the Is title. That that's, movie title? that's the whole, yeah, it's a big title. It's a big title. All right. Or basically known by its friends as Dr. Strangelove. I've heard of yes. Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> I have never seen it. What have you heard? What, what do you know? Oh, just the title. Okay. Yeah. So you don't know the content. I have no what idea. What it's about? Yeah. Mm. Thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class Podcast. As always, you can find us at Twitter and Instagram at Remedial Film Pod. You can email us old school at remedialfilmpod at gmail.com and of course you can find us at facebook.com slash remedialfilmpod and of course if you are watching this on YouTube be aware that we are on all major podcast apps and if you're listening to this on a podcast app and you think man I really want to look at some bonus features now and then check us out on YouTube we're a real easy spot we'll be back here next week with Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and love the bomb. Years ago, I volunteered at like a before and after school care kind of thing to get volunteer hours for a scholarship. And there was this kid that found out that my buddy and I liked computer games. And he would come up. He's like a first grader. Um, uh, Mr. Dan, I was playing Age of Empires 2, The Age of Kings last night with my dad. And I'm like, yeah, cool. That's a good game. He's like, yeah. Well, while I was playing Age of Empires 2, The Age of Kings with my dad, I was having a lot of fun with my pikemen because, you know, in Age of Empires 2, The Age of Kings. <laughs> and I imagine that kid now is uh, probably 25 years old. And uh, Mr. Dan, I'm really excited that you are going to be watching Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying <laughs> and Love the Bomb. And tonight, when you rewatch Dr. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. I love that he'll kid. keep saying That's it. That's a good yeah. kid. Just, I mean, you got to read the whole title or it doesn't count. Exactly. And American Werewolf in London. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, my gosh. Well, George, uh, are you excited to return so quickly to Mr. Kubrick? Yes, of course. I don't think there's any light switches in this movie, but I'm going to look at that shit up. I mean... Mom. I mean, <laughs> I think I might make a t-shirt that says, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but you can't do, you can't design, like you can't silk screen the voice. So I don't know if that works. It's worth a shot. It's worth a shot. Put a QR code on it when they scan there it. There you go. It's just and me going, I mean. going, I mean, <laughs> name it, name it, name, name it, name it. Name it. Name it. Name it.